We're in this series called um, Going Home for the Holidays, where we're talking about what these experiences are like um, for us practically. And last week we talked about uh, how Mary and Joseph made a way for Christ. And, we, you know, yesterday I told you we were out with the uh, families from Angel Tree Ministry, and I talked to grandparents who were raising grandchildren because the kids were in prison, right? And, and this is not the plan they had for their lives, and yet they're making a home for those children. And what a blessing. And our hope was yesterday we could encourage them, not the, the children are fun to hang out with, but encourage the caregivers to pray with the caregivers that God hasn't abandoned you, right? That you are, as you continue to find a way to love these children, there are those around you who will love and support you as you do that work. So we have that idea that, um, and that's one of those things we've been talking about in the series about telling better stories in a church. I'm always amazed how I can talk to someone and they're like, they're like, wow, where is this church? <laughs> because they, they don't know a church that, and I'm not saying family Bible, I'm saying, because yesterday we had like four, four, probably three or four churches involved in that ministry. I mean, it wasn't just our ministry, but uh, I think they're saying, where are people like you guys who really do this, live this out in a practical way? And I know we're not the only ones doing it. The four churches involved in that aren't. But that's a telling a better story in the community, right? That, that, that God hasn't forgotten you, that he loves you, and we're here for you. We'll do whatever. Um, and it's funny, for some of us, we've been it, I think, 13 years we've been doing that ministry, right? Praise God. And uh, one of the things that was, uh, hit me was, I can still remember the names of the kids who've graduated out. Mom and dad have gotten out of prison. They're back in parental custody, whatever. As far as we know, right, they're not back to this thing, so they're not in the system anymore. And uh, we continue to long to, for, for those children uh, to be blessed as well as we're meeting the new friends. I was thinking in this series, um, so today's message is a little different, and the series is not quite a traditional Christmas series, but I was wondering, when you think about Jesus Christ, right, we talk a lot about Jesus and think about Jesus, what do you think his hands were like? Like, really practically, what do you think, how do you think Jesus, if you shook Jesus' hand, you know, like, hey, good to meet you, because <laughs> he was a real flesh and blood person, what would, his, what would his handshake feel like? Do you think they would be like, you know, I, I'm thinking practically, right? Like, well, he's resurrected Christ. He would have some nail holes. That would be an interesting handshake, right? Uh, but do you think he'd have these kind of like, kind of like mine, smooth, nice, pedicured do you think he would have like uh, would he would he would he grab your hand gently, give you like the fish handshake? Good morning, hello. Uh, or would he like do that burly man like way squeeze hard thing where you okay <laughs> that thing? Do you think he'd have rough hands? Do you think he'd have dirt under his fingernails? Like, you know what I mean? Like, if you think about Jesus, we can, we can turn him into whoever we want. You know, that's one of the cultural tricks we do is we make Jesus like us instead of us being like Jesus. But what do you think? One of the things that happens often in church world is, uh, church world, that's a funny thing to say, is, is people go, uh, well, I might, come, I might come to your church because, I, I, you know, I didn't think I would fit in in a church. You mean it's, it's real people? And I'm like, well, yeah, of course. All of us would say it. Sinners, we are, and, and yet there's the idea of, if, am I going to be good enough for Christmas? Am I going to be good enough for the celebration? By the way, praise God, I want to do a little celebrating this morning because we have Mr. and Mrs. 
Uh, Caleb and Amy Brink with us this morning. Got married a couple weeks ago, so we can give them a round of applause for the yee <laughs> You know, it's been like, a, you know, it's, it, it's new, it's fresh. The newly newlyweds, now we got more newlyweds. But I wanted to say something, and it actually came out of your wedding ceremony. I was really stunned, and this is probably the only guy in the room that's not obvious to you, right? And like, I told them at their wedding, the Bible is an agricultural book written to a, 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 a working people, right? A people of the earth. And they did a great thing, and I'm just going to tell the story, I hope you don't mind, that they planted a tree as their unity ceremony thing, right? They're going to grow something together. Now, this makes sense in them, for them, but it was so wonderful to see a practical manifestation of God's favor, of his love, of the ex- creation that we live in. I have a question. Who do you think God favors in life? We're going to talk about that today. And today's message is actually titled, uh, Revelation for Regular Folks, okay? And we're going to look at the story of the shepherds, and I'm excited to do it. We're going to do what we always, we're going to pray before we get into God's word, and then pray that he would give us understanding and wisdom and, and a practical application for our lives. We, too, can be included in this grand narrative Pray with me if you would. Father God, we thank you so much for this morning. We thank you for a chance to celebrate your son and our savior, Jesus. We thank you for a chance to celebrate marriage and babies and prison ministries and life and love and Christmas and one another. We thank you, Father, for the opportunity to come here now and to sit at your feet and hear from you. We pray, Lord, that you would teach us through your word, that you are the only one, we confess this, you are the only one with the ability to teach us, to change us, to transform us. And so we ask that you would do that through your word this morning, that we would have an attentive ear to you, that we would be willing to sit at your feet and learn. May you do this by the power of your Holy Spirit, that we might come to know you better, and we pray you would do it in the name of the one and only Jesus Christ. Amen. So we're going to pick up in Luke chapter 2, and we're going to kind of, this is going to blend with where we were last week with Mary and Joseph. I mean, we covered chapter 1. We're going to skip a bunch of stuff, though. We covered some of chapter 1. And then we're going to pick it up in chapter 2, verse 1. This is what the word says. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Onesimus was governor of Syria, and everyone went to his own town, his or her own town, to register. Probably his, right? So Joseph went up to the town, from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem in the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the child to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, her firstborn, a son, and she wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no room for him in the inn, for them in the inn. We're going to stop there because the next sentence is actually about what we're going to spend our time talking about today, the revelation to the shepherds in the fields. But I wanted to kind of walk through a couple of things. I think I thought it was kind of funny in looking at the word that Caesar had mandated that they would go to their hometown to register. I, I'm going to say this morning, I haven't researched this enough to fully understand it, but it's an interesting topic that there is places in the Old Testament whenever they would start counting nickels and noses that God would get offended because he's like, these are my people, you know? 
know? And so I think with some of his kings, when they called a census, they were, Israel was rebuked for doing it as if they were trying to manifest their own power instead of trusting in God's provision, God's power. But this isn't a problem in this case in Luke 2 because in Luke 2, Caesar is ruling the Jews. Caesar, Augustus, is ruling the Jews. And so he mandates, the, the, uh, Greece mandates that there must be a census taken of all the people. How many people do we have? And I would actually think that there is an ownership principle here that whether you not think you're a free person or not, you belong to them, right? We just went through a census ourselves in the United States where they're counting who counts and who doesn't and who do they belong to and what is it going to mean for how we govern. And so that's kind of what's happening here. But I wanted to say that it's kind of funny to me because here I'm sure, I'm sure for Mary and Joseph, uh, they had a lot going on, and they, they did not need to pack up and move or travel to Bethlehem in the middle of their own personal crisis because of some government mandate. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, the government said you have to go. And, and, but they went, and I'm not going to make much of that. They weren't probably, I'm not saying they were like begrudging, like, oh, this government. But I'm not sure that a whole people would be pleased to be disrupted and forced to do things that they maybe didn't feel compelled to do to return to your hometown, to go back to your family, to go, well, as it were, home for Christmas. This would be the first Christmas, right? And so they're, they're heading, uh, going home. And uh, as, they're, as they're kind of walking this out, oh, I wanted to say one more thing. Uh, this was ordered by Caesar. Here's another side note I can't even get into, but I was stunned to learn and hadn't realized this, this is a Caesar tie-in, that Caesar was the first Roman emperor ever to put his own image on the coin. And Jesus used that to teach in his own life. So after Caesar Augustus, there's probably only gods in the coins, but later Caesar says, you know, I'm gonna be God to you. And, uh, you know, Jesus uses that as a teaching moment with, uh, I think it's Peter, where he says, uh, whose image is on the coin? Give to Caesar what is a Caesar's and give to God what is God's, right? What image do you bear in this life? Oof, that's all tied up in this baby that is now in utero because it says that Mary is carrying Jesus into Bethlehem. And we can see, if you go to light display, you'll maybe see the camel or the donkey with, yeah, donkey with Mary on it and Joseph with the reins and walking and all the beauty and pageantry. But this is a very pregnant woman going to David's hometown, or David, Joseph's hometown. Now, here's the thing. Again, you'll hear it said in this passage that they went to Bethlehem. That's the house of bread, by the way, is what that word means, Bethlehem. Uh, to the town of David, because he, Joseph, her husband, betrothed husband, belongs to the house and the line or the family of David. We talked about that last week, how it was a royal wedding, right? And so here's another manifestation. And what's interesting here is that the government mandate is working in synchronicity with the purposes of God, because they're going to end up in Bethlehem for the birth because of this mandate. And so, but he belongs to the town, he belongs to the household, he belongs to the line. It's his home, it's his family. And Joseph is going there to register with everyone else. And I think it literally meant to register. You had to like, you know, write down all the details about everybody when you got there, all right? And so you have that. And then uh, I love this. So we're, now we're about uh, 
Um, it tells the story again how she's expecting a child and yet unwed, which is a scandalous thing, by the way. She's expecting a child and yet she's not wed. Come on. Verse 6, while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. I think that's a really funny way to say that, but it's actually in the Greek it says, in the fulfillment of her time, he came forth. And, and, and here's the idea, and we're going to talk about this, God's perfect timing in our lives, that at the, just the right moment, Christ shows up with, uh, in person in Mary with Joseph. And so she, uh, and then it says separately, and she gives birth to her son, uh, to her firstborn, a son, um, which is Jesus, right? And so she, she brings, she finishes, fulfilled the days of her giving of birth is the way it reads, right? And then we know, lastly, it says that she wrapped him in clothes, verse 7, and uh, placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And we know that story quite well, right? Where Jesus is born in either a feeding trough or a horse stall, which are a animal stall, which aren't the most pleasant places. I mean, they're, they're warm and soft, but usually stinky, right? <laughs> you wouldn't want to sleep there <laughs> necessarily, but there they made a home. And here we have this idea of Mary and Joseph making do with what God has provided. Um, the end, we always have the innkeeper like, oh, you can't stay here, you know, but it's just this idea of they couldn't rest on their journey. Because the idea of an inn or a lodge in that case is it breaks up your trip to more more palatable portions. But for Mary and Joseph, they had to go all the way to the end and end up in a stall for the census. And Jesus, as we well know, is born in a manger or a stall in a barn. That's the reality of his coming into the world. We, can't, we ought not miss that, the practical of that. And then, and then one more thing, and then we're gonna get into the shepherds and what a profound reality it is that Christ would be revealed first to shepherds but um, it says that she wrapped him in swaddling clothes, right? And I was like pondering that too. I'm like, wrapped, it in, wrapped Jesus in swaddling clothes. And it hit me that at the beginning and the end of Jesus' earthly life, he is bound up like that. It actually means to flail. You know, kids like to be secure. You just kind of wrap them up and you're like, oh, I, right? But we know that the story of Christ, it starts with him being wrapped in a manger, ends with him wrapped in a tomb, but not to stay. <laughs> the strips of linen are found in his resurrection spot because the, the story of Jesus is bigger than we could imagine. I just thought that was really interesting because it has that same idea of wrapping them in a strip. In the, in, the, in the birth narrative as well. So then with all that background, that's by way of background here, we're gonna get into what we're gonna talk about today, which is this, verse eight. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And this is one of those stories you can just hear it and go, yes, yes, we know they're shepherds. We've heard it a thousand times, right? We know, probably not a thousand times unless you're a thousand years old, but you've heard this story a lot and it feels like we've heard it. But I wondered, and I asked you earlier, who do you think God favors in this life? I, I made the case from, that, from their wedding that this is an agricultural book. Do you believe that that's true? I mean, this is a philosophical book, right? It's, it's a book written to a people of the earth. And I think we can see here in God's revelation to the shepherds that God favors diligent people. 
diligent people. Why would I say that? Because look at verse 8. And there were nearby, so they were there, shepherds. And first of all, they were living in the fields. Now, I don't know what your vision of that was, right? I literally thought they were like just out in the fields with the sheep all night. But they were actually enclosed. They were dwelling in the fields with the sheep. But the enclosure was like um, barricades, right? It was just walls but no roof. And so they, they had the expanse of the sky above them, but they had their sheep and they were caring for them in the wild as they were um, taking care of them. We're going to talk about what shepherds do in a minute. Um, but get this, when it says they were living in the fields, and I'm going to try this one, this is a tough one, it's agroluntes is the word, and it's a combination of agros, which is where we get agriculture from. They're agricultural people that God, that, that uh, get the first here, we're gonna, I'm spoiling it, going to get to hear of the birth of Jesus. They are country people, they belong to the land, they are farmers, or they're on the farm, that's what it means, and uh, ago, an area with no roof. So this is their, this is their reality. So they're kind of protected, but they're vulnerable, you know? And um, they, these are uh, people who are working, and that's the second thing. So the first, I said God favors diligent because they're living in the fields near the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem. But secondly, they're working at night. And I thought this was really funny. They're literally midnight shifters. They're up in the middle of the night because the sheep need to be cared for. They didn't like, you know, they're not early to bed, early to rise. They're like late to bed, early to rise shepherds caring for them. It literally means knocks, which is midnights. Um, and this is when they're up. Um, and I'm not, you know, they're just, you can imagine the scene, right? But that's also whenever the enemy is around, whenever predators might come and steal, kill. And so you have to be alert. You have to watch. Take a night's watch together. And then that's the third thing. They were keeping watch over their flock. And, it, and the keep watch, and this is where we get into the definition of what it means to be a shepherd. It means to guard or protect or observe, right? So while the sheep are maybe not aware of what's going on around them, the shepherds are. They're fully aware they can tell by the sounds. They can tell by the movement of the animals. They can tell. They can, you know, you almost get a sense of there's a threat out here somewhere in the darkness. And so these are diligent people who are doing their jobs. Why would God reveal the birth of Jesus to shepherds first? Like, does that matter? Is it just happenstance? Well, they're the closest people, so they got to hear it. The word uh, shepherd, it means appointment, uh, and it means to be a feeder, to be a protector, or to be a ruler. And I don't like, I don't like the word ruler, but it means like a boss, like kind of say, hey, we're going to guide you a little bit because you're going to get in trouble without some guiding. And so that's the role of a shepherd. It's the same word that's translated one time in the Bible as pastors in Ephesians 4. The same word used in the Luke birth narrative is used of pastors, used interpreted as pastors once. All the rest of the times in the Bible, it's interpreted as a, a literal shepherd. So it ties into, you can see now, it ties into something of the pastoral ministry, the call to shepherd the flock of God, to care for one another. Paul ties it in in Ephesians. But then third, and perhaps most profoundly, in John 10, Jesus refers to himself as the good shepherd. If you know the passage, I am the good shepherd, I know my sheep, my sheep know me. Right, And so um, Jesus himself is the good shepherd and the model that he demonstrates, so I asked what kind of hands would he have? The model he demonstrates is a manifestation of what? The feeding, 
the protecting and the ruling over his people. He's a hands-on kind of God. Not a far distant, clean hands, right? Office chair, philosophical, theoretical, but a practical leader, a practical savior. And so you have now uh, this idea that the shepherds are in the field and there's been nothing yet of revelation, but here it comes and I love it so much. So it says they're in the fields, verse nine, an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were afraid. The word says very afraid, but the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring to you good news, euangelion, of great joy that will be for all people. Now, just listen to what happens. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you, and you will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. And so this is the first part. So I just want to just be practical and say, these guys are not looking for a revelation, right? Like, this is the second point is that revelations are often unexpected. They're just doing their job. I think we can reverse engineer and go, oh, look, they were out the right, you know. No, they were just being faithful to what God had called them to do. And in the middle of their faithfulness, in the middle of their caregiving, in the middle of their leading, all of a sudden God shows up in his great splendor. What I love about this, by the way, is it says that the angel, it says, appeared to them. It actually, the Greek says, appeared among them. So you can imagine these shepherds with their sheep in the middle of a field with the open sky. And all of a sudden, there's somebody there. And they're afraid. And the word says, don't be afraid, but like, it's not, we have the idea of like, the angel like, like that, but it's like, bang, the angel's right there, and they're like, what is going on, right? And they are very afraid, the word says, um, but the angel appeared with them, and then the second thing we can't skip is the glory of God shone around them, so now all of a sudden, this quiet field where they're just doing their jobs is illuminated in some glorious way that they're like, it's the glory of God, the doxa of kurios, the glory of God all around them while they're just, they're just shepherds, man. Like, what do you want from me? And the angel appears, says these words, don't be afraid, I bring you, here it is, evangelism, good news of great joy that will be for all peoples. And those are people groups, nations. It's not good news for you, shepherds. It's good news for everybody. And not good news for Israel. It's good news for the nations. And, uh, and so you already have this a, a vision or, yes, a vision or a direction the gospel's gonna go that it's not just for holy people. It's not just for certain people, but for all people. Verse 11, today in the, town of, uh, in the town of David, a Savior has been born. Now listen to this, to you. So now, shepherds, you have been given a gift, and it is Christ the Lord, born for you, born to you. So it's at once this grand vision and another, a very personal application for these shepherds. And here's going to be the sign, the sign to prove it, Right? that you'll find a baby wrapped in clothes, swaddled in clothes, and lying in a manger. And so you have these shepherds now, you can imagine, and they're, they're afraid. And the angel says, don't be afraid. I imagine they're still kind of a little shook about all this. You know, like, I wasn't looking for revelation today. I was trying to take care of my sheep today. And, uh, and, and now in, um, uh, there's this gift being given, and it's Christ, right? So Christ is born to them. 
so it goes, one more stop here, okay? So it goes this grand narrative that, that he's born for all people, and it says he's born to you individually, but then and when it says this will be a sign to you, that's not singular, that's y'all. <laughs> so here we go, a little bit of regular folk speak. Y'all have a sign to find, to see, to prove, to demonstrate what has happened here. And so you have three kind of movements there, the whole world individually, and then you all together have been given this gift in Christ or this sign to go and pursue. And so in the middle of that, he's like, you're going you're gonna to have this uh, sign, you can go prove it, and then the craziest thing happens ever. I wrote down, a rock concert breaks out in the sky. I told you they were living in the fields, they had walls with no roof, you know. It's like semi-protected, but all of a sudden, the angel's with them, and then bang, it says what? Look at what it says, suddenly, behold, look, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace to men on whom his favor rests. And so you have this, and I wrote a rock concert, but maybe you're not into rock and roll. Fair enough. So a great choir. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and this wasn't, it wasn't just a speaking thing. They were, they were singing and praising God together, and they were saying, glory to God in the highest. So there it is, in excelsis Deo. And on earth, peace, serenity to mankind on whom God's favor rests. And so now in the middle of this kind of disruption of their work day, the glory of God shones around them, and then this great company of hosts begin to praise God amongst them for all he has done in Jesus, the breaking out of God's glory in a regular work day. And by the way, all that says it was aimed at God. So they were praising God. In the Greek, it says they were singing this to God. They were saying this to God, glory to God in the highest. And so they proclaim uh, this amongst the shepherds. And then you get this idea just as quickly that it's over. It says, when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So now there are a couple of things here, right? They're going to leave and go look at the sign, but they've they got to care for these sheep. Now it doesn't say what they do. Do they leave the sheep? I don't know. Do they drive the sheep? I don't know. But they're like, we're going to change our plans now, and we're going to go and investigate. Let's go and see what this word that has already come to pass looks like. Isn't that interesting? Let's go and see with our own eyes that this word that has come to pass, that the Lord has made known to us, let's go look at it. Uh, let's go see what he's got. And so I'm wondering then, what would you do if God revealed something unexpected to you in an, an ordinary day, are, are we even looking? Are we even listening? What, what will you do when God reveals something to you in your life that you don't have a category for? Are we paying attention to that? Revelation seems to come in the most unexpected times and places and we get a sense of it, I think, um, like we were talking about earlier. You know, you get goosebumps. What are those about? There's something bigger happening here than we even understand. 
Yes, we had a plan and we're working the plan, but there's, God is doing something else in it. And so then lastly here, we're going to look at Luke 2, 16 uh, through 20. And so this is what it says. I love this, by the way. It says, so they hurried off. I love those words. And found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger, right? So they just rush off from the field and they find out that what God has said is true. I would say, of course it's true, but, you know, they went and they, they saw and they find them laying in the manger, and when they had seen them, they spread the word concerning what they had been told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds had said to them. But Mary treasured these things up in her heart and pondered them. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had seen and heard, and which were just as they were told. Okay, so what's the last thing here then? If you think that revelation is for regular folks and if you think that um, it comes in unexpected times and that he favors diligent people you're just doing what you're called to do until he shows up uh, then we know that we have good news to share right so it says they show up and they find mary joseph and the baby in the manger that's the part we know right but i love so much it says that they went to investigate uh, to see this reminds me of james where it says faith without action is dead they could have said no no i believe you god that you did that thing but they went over and they actually got eyes on the they went and made the effort and then in the mount manger they find jesus by the way uh, what is the relevance for a shepherd to be sent to a manger. You know, like most of us would be like, if we were regular travelers, we'd be like, oh my gosh, you know, you're in a, you're in a barn. But for these guys, they're like, eh, he's in a barn. <laughs> I, I mean, I was just, I, I'm, I'm reading a little text a little bit, but I think it had to say like, now here's a savior we can relate to. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, uh, you're born in a barn. You're not highfalutin. You know what I mean? You're, you're, you're a regular dude. And so how interesting, though, that God chose in his infinite wisdom to reveal the truth to a shepherd, to shepherds who would then go and investigate and find it just as he said. And then, what, this is what I love so much. It says, when they found Jesus uh, in this barn, they decided this was worth sharing with everyone and what's the word say? It says that people marveled at Christ. People marveled at the revelation. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told to them about Jesus. And all who heard what they were told were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. And so this is idea that sometimes I had someone this week say, I really want to tell people about Jesus, but I feel so much pressure. I don't know how, how to do it. Like, I'm, I'm really nervous. I don't know what words to use and all this stuff. Listen, the shepherds only said what they were told. They, they weren't like some scholars. I mean, God could have done anything he wanted, but he revealed it to shepherds. They were regular folks, and they spoke like regular folks, and that means they didn't get everything exactly like they, you know what I'm trying to say. I'm not saying they were not educated. They're very, uh, you know, uh, capable, but they were just talking like what they knew. Like, you can't believe it. This is what just happened. And, and interesting, too, that they would put their credibility on the line for it. Man, there's something else going on here. And the people that would hear it marveled at Christ, marveled at the story that, that unto you today a son is given. As it says, a Savior has been born. He is Christ. And they're telling everyone this. A Savior's been born in Bethlehem, and it's Christ. What an awesome model for us to follow. Just say what you know. Don't, don't make up new things. Don't say things you don't know. Say what you do know. Stand 
aside people, right, and marvel at what God is doing together. That's what I think our call is. Be amazed at what God is doing in our lives. Then it says, and this is the last thing here, it says the shepherds then went back, back to the fields, back to work, back to their communities, praising and glorifying God, right? Doxa is the glorifying of God and praising is uh, just singing his praises in their heart. Why? Because what they'd seen, what they'd heard, and what had been said, which is funny that those two are different. So I'm like, well, isn't what's heard and said the same thing? But they were marveling at what was told to them. Right? They heard it, but they're like, but he told us. God told us. God trusted us. I wonder, as we look into Christmas, what do you expect from Christmas? What are you hoping to see or hear? Or how about this? What do you assume God will do through Christ at Christmas? Or maybe more, more tellingly, what do you presume God won't do through Christ at Christmas? What limitations are we placing on him in the season of celebration? All this stuff, I love it so much that as we're looking at Christmas, we're looking at the entirety of Jesus' life. And after those linen strips were left on the, in the tomb and Jesus raised from the dead, the Holy Spirit fell upon the church in the book of Acts. And the most amazing thing was in Acts 2, Peter starts to try to explain to people what they're seeing because they don't understand. And when Peter starts to explain what people are seeing about this one called the Christ, he stands up, you know the story in Acts 2, and he shares uh, from the book of Joel. But I want to share with you what he shares. It's up here. This is what Peter stands up and says of Jesus don't you know that in those days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. She's not some people. It's all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. There's this revelatory nature of what Christ is doing. And even on my servants, both, here it is, men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. This is Peter pointing back to the prophet Joel. This is what God said is going to happen, and it's now happened in Christ. And I don't think it's nothing that the first ones to be revealing the proclamation of Christ are shepherds, lastly and not leastly. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who calls. We often talk about, you know, John 3.16. Here it is, Joel 2.32. And everyone in those days when my spirit is dwelling over, poured on the people, anyone who will call the name of the Lord will be saved. You remember the story in Acts 2. And in that moment, 3,000 came to faith. The Holy Spirit convicted them that they needed to repent and believe in Christ. Because all, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is what Christmas is about. That every person who calls, and this means that we ought not be quick to put limits in place, and we ought as God's people to be watching for where he's working. That we could see and celebrate, that we could participate with him. 
I hope that's practical enough because I really want it to be, I don't, I don't, I just want you to all to understand that's the reality of how God's working through all of his people. Pray with me if you would. Father God, we thank you so much for this day and we thank you for the reality that you work through all your people the, the, the way you choose and that you pour out your spirit on everyone, that the proclamation of Jesus is for all nations. We started today praying about that, that there would be those who are far off who've never heard your name would hear it, but that those of us who hear it, Father, would take seriously the proclamation of Christ, that we would, we would by your indwelling Holy Spirit, we would be willing to say the things that you show to us. We would risk telling someone about Jesus even when we can never fully understand the totality of Christ. It's too much for our minds, our hearts, our lives. But, but we thank you, Father, we can share what we know. Help us to be uh, Christmas people. Help us to be Christmas people celebrating the birth of the Savior in a unique way, in a way that's different than the culture. May you be glorified as we continue to worship you and celebrate. We pray this in the name of the one born in the manger. Amen.